It's not getting it, getting it. Welcome everybody out there in podcast land. The Good Times with Good People Company proudly presents the Law Party Podcast, where it is always about good times, good people, and good talk. Good. Now that you've received your invitation, join us. Grab a cocktail, light a cigar, or whatever you like to smoke. Uh, tell a friend, and welcome to the party. I'm your host and moderator, Rio, and let's introduce today's panel. We've got our returning champions, uh, Chris O'Connor. He's the co-owner of Liquid Nine Broadcast Media. Uh, Dave Elliott, we call him Big Dave. He's the owner of CMP Construction. Uh, Brian Massey, he's a market analyst for True Media and our resident Brian Mass. Uh, we have also got Patrick Miller. He is the hacker. That's all I can tell you about what he does. Uh, and the anonymous female. Because she doesn't want you to know her name. Uh, and today on the Law Party Podcast, we are talking about uh, we the people. Um, have these uh, sour grapes protests turned into the resistance? Um, so I got a lot of things I was looking at online um, that I put down here as kind of uh, show points uh, for us to touch on. Um, and uh, and as always, uh, since we've gotten into the Trump era, um, I want to touch on something that uh, was uh, was at least considered uh, an alternative fact until, of course, we got the real facts. And so let's start with um, the uh, mosque shooting in uh, Quebec. Uh, so um, Fox News had tweeted that, tweeted and then reported that the shooter was uh originally a Muslim of Moroccan descent and come to find out he was just a French Canadian white guy who happens to uh, really love the American president <laughs> and, uh, and has nothing to do with any uh, terrorist ties. Uh, and it took the uh, government of Canada uh, writing... Uh, tweeting and writing Fox News uh, repeatedly before they would uh, retract and then writing again a very pretty stern uh, letter to get them to actually remove the original tweets. Um, I Personally, I just, I thought this was, you know, this was just kind of outrageous because the uh, press secretary, uh, Sean Spicer, you know, had said that, you know, the re that the Quebec shootings, this is the reason that we're doing the, uh, well, they weren't trying, they were trying not to call it uh, a Muslim ban at the time when he <laughs> said it, but, uh, but this is the reason that we're restricting travel from, from some of these nations. Um, and then it turned out that this wasn't even a Muslim or uh, even anybody from a Muslim nation that did the shooting in the first place. Um, so I'm sure everybody has has uh, at least heard this one. Um, and I want to start by asking Patrick. Hmm. 
your thoughts on on such? Well, <laughs> accuracy matters. Um, I think in a lot of the situation we see with, um, I'll, I'll kind of abstract the discussion for just a minute and bear with me. Uh, we, we deal a lot with what's called threat intelligence. Mm-hmm. And when we receive information about any particular threat, it comes with a degree at <coughs> a, a confidence level. So this is really early, unconfirmed, just early early, early warning. Right? Um, it takes a much longer time, in some cases days, weeks, or months, before they can actually come back and say, absolutely confirmed, we know they're uh, basically what are called TTPs or their methods, so to speak. Um, accuracy takes time. And I think, unfortunately, in this case, they're trying to rush as quickly as they can to claim the oxygen in the room with whatever story they want to push. And I think I'm seeing more of a, more of a tendency in certain forms of media to, to take that, um, you know, that approach that lawyers take when they, they say it and they know it's going to get objected, they know it's going to get stricken from the record, but, but they want to strike first blood. Yeah. Everybody heard it, and it's going to flavor their, their perception. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're seeing is kind of a push to do that now, knowing that they may well get publicly roasted, but all that will be forgotten for the fact those first impressions were heard, and often everything else after that will be ignored, because what they wanted to hear was what they heard first. Hmm. Um, so I think, you know, it's arguably an unscrupulous tactic. It's done in a lot of professions that are considered to be quite rigorous, like the legal profession. So saying that it's something you should or shouldn't do, I think really isn't, or isn't arguable. It's, it's what happens. Um, the, I think the challenge is now how do we actually correct the, the mistakes in a manner that can get to the people that need to understand that what was originally heard was not, in fact, you know, was not just false, but was intentionally false. Because I think that's, that's part of the message is it's, not is it just false, but it's intentionally false, is I think the concern that I've got. Is, is, is there malice in the fact that it was done right, the way right, it right. was? Yeah, I, and I, think, I guess that is truly my, my concern, but I think that is the broader concern. Like, you know, I don't know if there's one news agency that hasn't had to print a retraction. But um, did they make the mistake on purpose? Or did was there just a mistake in the reporting, and then they had to print the retraction? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems as if here lately we're getting more and more instances where it feels like, like you say, like in a courtroom when you know the lawyer knows there's going to be an objection, but he but he knows he needs to strike first blood, mm-hmm. so he just throws it out there. But like I say, now you cannot hear it. Yeah. You you can. The judge can say, you know, jurors don't, you know, don't, you know, don't consider that. But, you know, you've heard it now. Uh, and and how much does that, you know, flavor, uh, I guess, the the zeitgeist of what everybody's thinking and feeling out there? I, I would pose the question that is it happening more or are we paying attention now? That's actually a really good question. Actually, a really good question. Uh, let's go to our historian at the table. <laughs> uh, well, these things have been around since you know the start of politics, so everybody does this. I mean, if you read some of the letters again from the 
founding fathers, which I love that term, who all despise each other. They said <laughs> horrific things about each other. Absolute slander and lies. Had them published in newspapers, you know, knowing that they couldn't be retracted and then, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So my bigger concern is not so much that a falsehood got out there by the news. I, I expect that, especially in this day and age where you have to be first with the story or you are last. You know, yeah. and so you are willing to guess because somebody tweeted it, uh, and so you don't want to be the only people not on the story, and so it makes for just a ridiculous scenario. And to call it news anymore, I think, is is doing a disrespect to the word news. Um, and to be perfectly honest, I never th- really thought news was news anyway. You always come out news with a, a bias of some sort, so it's impossible not to. So. Uh, but you try to, should try to make sure your facts are right, but you can't do that anymore in this day and age. It's impossible. Yeah, so you the news cycle is, is so impossibly short. It, it's, it's an entertainment division of the networks. That's what it is. Which, so, which is kind of shameful to me, you know. Why? I mean, they lost money on it for years and didn't do any good. Well, yeah, you know, it, it always, the news division was always a loss leader at, at any network, you know. It was just... Out of box. They know. kill it. Yeah, yeah. No, and Fox Cable is always uh, the number one rated uh, cable network that's out there. Where was CNN before the Gulf War? Yeah, truly, they they actually turned twenty four hour news into a thing. It was it was suddenly not just you know the thing you did, whether you had the weather and the sports, and you might tell people what to do about the upcoming leaf problem or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, but yeah, it's there was no real twenty. It was you know morning. Maybe during noon or lunchtime, yeah. and then at night you'd watch the. Well, and CNN like, was yeah. the first to make it entertainment. They would give yeah. each crisis a name, a catchy yes. name with a theme song and a graphic. A graphic. And, oh yeah, and, and, out, and an assigned reporter that uh, was the lead. Well, and, I guess my thing is, I, I and again to use the lawyer analogy, well, a lawyer has an obligation to do the absolute best job they can to defend their client, right, wrong, or indifferent, and so. I just find that in some ways advocating, and that's a strategy that you can use. I have a harder time when you're basing foreign policy on it, uh, which should not be held to that. You're not advocating just right, one right, side right, of that right, point. Right. You have millions of people's lives at, at stake here, and uh, that would just be ridiculous. Well, so. look at the 6 o'clock news on the local level. As soon as that news comes on, what does it say? Breaking news. Yeah. yeah. Every single one of them got breaking news. So what it boils down to, all these news organizations have a hand grenade. And as soon as they got an inkling, they pull the pin and chuck it and let it blow up. And so they can be the first one out there. And then unfortunately, they don't fact check like they should. Or they have a narrative that they want to put out there to fit their political agenda because it's no longer about journalism. It's about commentary. In a lot of ways. They're reporting the news, but they're reporting it in their commentary way. And so they're going to throw it out there and let it come back, and then it may bounce around two or three different ways. It may be found out to be true. It may be found out to be false. It may be found out to have half-truths and half-lies on either side. But really, that's what it is anymore. It's about entertainment. Yeah, it's yeah, about creating the entertainment me, narrative. I guess that's to me thinking about what, what you you were saying, Chris. I think you might be right. It may have always been there, you know. But you know, I think that 
you know, at at one point anyway, the there was the news, and then there was the commentating the commentary or the editorial, and and so clearly it was like clearly delineated that this is an opinion. Nothing? Yeah, yeah, this <laughs> is an opinion. Channel Nine used to be real good at. They go through their news and at the end of the day. Their editor would come on and have a comment. Well, but that's that, that's exactly my point. I mean, that was, that was old said, school journalism. You literally just said the magic word right there, which is why it has never been truly not op-ed to begin with, is because there's an editor involved in some way that selectively gets to pick what stories you get to hear or not hear, how it's told, the oh, point of view that it comes from. That has been true historically, but I would say that's actually changed with the advent of the internet and blogging, podcasting. Nobody um, can fire you. Right. There's no. a lot of folks that have done fire like there. Ryan Krebs does his own stuff, completely self-funded. Sure. And has been uh, swatted, threatened by the you know, several different forms of mafia. Um, so I, I think there's a certain degree of independence in there. Um, that said, it doesn't come with, you know, the clout or um, stigma, depending upon your perspective, sure. of a major news organization. Right. I mean, they, they still pretty much gear what, what our conversations are at the water cooler a lot of times. Yeah. And I think that's becoming less and less, especially as distribution channels become free, But which is nice. I mean, that's one of the advantages of the internet. Another disadvantage of the internet is the distribution channel's free. Mm-hmm. So every Yahoo in the world can say, shit, that's not true. And because you read it somewhere, you believe that it's true. Uh, We're going to do that anyway. I, and I completely agree. So, And I think they do that already with the three cable news channels. You have picked the one that you try to agree with the most and <laughs> stick with it and go, ah, see, people agree with them. The facts are there. And it's always been nonsense. And again, my dad used to always tell this joke. He's like, an American and a Russian got in a race, and the American won. And so America reported that the American won the race, and the Russians said that the American came in second to last. Which both are true. You know, <laughs> it is literally how you want to say that. Uh, yeah, just how you spin yeah, the facts. Whatever your point of view is. I think no matter what side you're on, given the way we are reporting information today, and even if this is mainstream or non-mainstream, um, you have to have a buffer. You have to have, give yourself a little bit of caching time. Um, don't immediately assume whatever you read is automatically at face value. Give it a little bit of time to cook. Cool. It's fine to start thinking about it. It's fine to kind of chew on it. But if you harden an opinion within seconds after reading something, which if you're already positioned that way, you're going to do that anyway. But I would caution those that are not, that are maybe approaching that space, that are not there yet, to let things, you know, let it cook for a minute to, till reality eventually surfaces. Because you'll find that the truth eventually finds its way. There's... Mm-hmm. It's just very hard to keep the truth from, from showing. It is the only thing in this world that can reverse entropy like that. A version of the truth. <laughs> when, right when the internet started doing Enough this. versions will show I, where it's yeah, I was kind of guilty of that. I would take something and go, squawk! Yeah. And I'd send it out to somebody, sometimes DW, and then I'd just get whacked down. Now, <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. I guess I should have looked and waited a little while before I went, squawk! Maybe another sure. version of that is be skeptical. Just give yourself a healthy dose of skepticism. Not a minor yeah, flavor, but a healthy... Right now is a really good time to embrace skepticism. You know, yeah, no matter yeah, where you are. The, the thing is, like, everyone at this table, like, we're critical thinkers, which is part of that, right? It's part of going into something and saying, well, does this make sense actually stopping? And then you also have to think of, of these sites or news channels. They go through a cycle. Right, they say, well, who is our demographic that's pulling oh, to do this? Yeah. So we want to kind of appeal to them because we want to keep them. Who's and our demographic that keeps our advertisers happy? 
Exactly. <laughs> and as that happens, then it starts this engine. And the way it works is right then, so we're giving them what they kind of want to see, and this is the thing that they're wanting to see, so let's give them more of it. And then it starts the cycle, because now what they're saying is, hey, yeah, I agree with that. I'm going to keep watching this. And then it gets more and more extreme, and over time, it gets to the point, I think, where we are now. Mm. But if we were critical thinkers, everyone was thinking of it that way, saying, well, maybe I should do more research than just watch this one channel or look at this one site, then things I mean, would even I out. At, I think at one point in history, there may have been uh, a slight lean, you know, uh, a little bit more conservative or a little bit more liberal, but we were dealing with basically one set of facts. And, uh, and I think that's the problem. I think that's really now Same it's, I, I completely disagree. Same and I'll fact. give you all I'll cite a historical example that most people still believe today. Most people think that the news organizations conspired to make sure that Americans didn't know that Roosevelt had polio and couldn't walk. In fact, almost every American knew that he was in a wheelchair and couldn't walk. That's the biggest scam in American history. Everybody knew I just it. We always cite it as an example of, well, like how the, you know, the journalists worked back then. And blah, but it's blah, blah. kind of like everybody. out of sight, out of mind. No, like, it, was very, it was very visible. Look up I thought it was Roswell. <laughs> Roswell might be too. Oh, but okay. I mean, it's, it's just you tell a story enough times, right, wrong, or indifferent, it becomes part of American folklore. Yeah, but that's also in the demagoguery handbook 101. Sure. Absolutely. The critical thinking, yeah. the problem with critical thinking for a lot of folks is everybody's in the now. Critical thinking requires time and work. You have to go and take the time to go back and look at different things and get different opinions. Before yeah. you can you can it, really do it. It takes that, but let me add another piece that it actually takes you for just a moment to actually step outside your emotions. Yeah. Because a, a lot of people are emotionally tied to these things in some in very visceral ways that yeah. uh, flavor the way they think and, and put up those filters that don't allow them to accept anything else, even if they gave it that much time. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, that's yeah, yeah, that's very true. Well, then then you're too dialed into your own ideology. Yeah, yeah, but the, I, 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 there are a lot of folks. But there's like no amount of news obviously. that's going to steer those people one way or the other. They're they're already set in that path. Everybody's there's a lot of them should sit in on a podcast and we can teach them something. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I think you're I think you're right on that, Chris. I think everybody has where their emotional hot button is. You know, I think some, some people, people have a really big button. Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, that's <laughs> what it is. Some people's button is just really, really big and really broad. Those damn millennials. Yeah. <laughs> and I can sit here. I don't think it's all millennials. I honestly don't give a shit if car manufacturing goes overseas. What do I care? But I didn't just lose my job in Toledo. You yeah. know, that I've exactly. there for 30 years exactly. and I have my pension threat. You know, so there's just different hot buttons for everybody and to. To avoid the emotions on the things that are the most important to you is exceptionally difficult. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can sit here and tell you many reasons why GM left Toledo because it's a ship back. You know, but, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, have you been to Toledo? Cheaper no offense out there to any listeners in Toledo, but, well, yeah. but, but look out your window. <laughs> it's uh, Toledo. Yeah, you're be. a northern Wichita. So, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know, if you're in Toledo and you work there forever, then that is all of a sudden your hot button. Yeah, I got I, I I struggle with the uh, maybe it's just me and I've been a, I've been you know self-contained and and uh, do-it-yourself guy my whole life. But 
anytime you blame somebody else, there's always three fingers pointing back at you. And I just, I, I think that we're in a very heavy blame situation where it's always somebody else's fault. It's always something else going on. And those folks in Toledo, okay, you saw this coming. I'm sorry, but this was on your radar 10 years ago. You had 10 years to get retrained into some kind of safety net. I'm, I, I'm not okay. saying that you are solely to blame, but you are—you got some culpability in that problem right there. Some, some blame Wherever Toledo right. or anywhere else that's uh, unless it just happens overnight and it was so disruptive, you had absolutely no capability to save yourself from that situation. Then shame on you. And I know people, and I really despise when people make rules based on personal examples and you know personal anecdotes. But I, I did see it firsthand. I one time, the one time. When I've laid people off and I gave them 90 days notice, I usually walk people out immediately and go, you got to go. But this one group I really liked, I'm like, I'll give you the 90 days, go look for a job. One person out of the entire group of 200 found a job. The rest of them sat around and did nothing but bitch and moan, did a shit mm-hmm. job, and then ended up stealing a ton of shit. And did become toxic people. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was horrible. Yeah. It was horrible. I'm yeah. like, dude, you never get you had a chance on that. It will never do it again. Yeah, this thing is lay them off, give them 90 days severance, and then you're the hero and you help them out, too. and you're not toxic to your company. <laughs> yeah, you know, I used to, uh, I used to really feel like, uh, you know, you know, companies that are just like, hey, you know, come on, come in the office, I need to talk to you, and they just hit you with the, you know, we're going a different direction. Here's your severance package. I used to think that was some real a hole stuff, but. You know, I've known several people, even people really close to me, that when they knew that it was that the change was coming, like you said, they did really horrible jobs. They destroyed the computers. They they did everything that they could do, thinking some crazy, crazy thinking, but thinking that they were that the the company was going to see that the way that it's being done now is is better and we don't need this change so if we keep breaking this stuff they'll just stop replacing it i just think they felt like they were being wrong well it, which is yeah, they, and, and and they did but the problem the real problem was they burned the bridge yeah it was just they don't they didn't want to yeah they didn't want to do it you'll always need I will say that that, that, that is the worst thing that you can do, and I and I t- I have many people leave my company and come back to work for me because they go out there and think it's greener on the other side and yeah. they can make a bunch more money. Next thing you know, they come back. Mm. But you know, those who have burned their bridge yeah. rarely get to come back with me. Yeah. Those, those who have said, "Hey, I, I think you know I got a better opportunity out here," I'm going to shake that person's hand and wish them luck. Sure. And then tell them that if it doesn't work out, you come back and see me someday. Sure. That's that's the whole difference. Makes sense. And I've had guys come back and beg for the job that burned the bridge with me. No. Mm-hmm. No. I, I will say the flip side of that story was the, uh, you know, they wanted the president of the company to be there for some mass round of layoffs and all this kind of stuff. So they flew in on a private jet, stayed down at the whatever Ritz Carlton. Had this nice lunch catered in. Get lots of optics on that room. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went through and fired everybody, and oh, then they got back on their private jet and went back to Pennsylvania. Oof. 
I'm like, you guys really did this entirely wrong. Flying on South Yeah, it might have been a bad sandwich. Might not have been a good idea. So there's, there's rights and wrong ways to do things. But. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, sorry. Let's see. Yeah, you want to get back on track. Actually, there's a couple of things that I, I put down here that I actually... Uh, Actually, I'm going to skip, and if we have time, I'm going to come back to, and I'm going to go straight to uh, uh, Donald Trump and his call list. Um, uh, So, uh, first, uh, (laughs) uh, hanging up on Mexico and Australia, (laughs) and not only hanging up on them, uh, threatening to send troops into Mexico... I was just like, what is wrong with this mayor? Okay, explain this. I didn't hear about him hanging up on oh, Or is that just a term you're using? No, 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 no. He literally he hung up hung on them. them. The call was scheduled for an hour with Australia, which right. is literally like our second closest ally. They've been in every war with us. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, they're one of five, one five countries that we share intelligence yeah, with. Yeah, and after, yeah. after 25 minutes... He literally says to the Australian Prime Minister, this is the worst call I've been on all day, and hangs up. It's just, I'm like, what is, what is wrong with this man? I just, I don't understand. And and during the call with Mexico, you know, he, he tries to, he tries to, you know, triple down on the wall. And the Mexican president is like, uh, absolutely not. Uh... And, and it and the conversation gets heated for a moment, and then he ba- he basically threatens to send troops in, like well, for, in the most insulting what? way. Yeah, he, said, yeah. You, he goes, if you can't take care of your bad hombres, yes, then, you know, yes. I'll send some troops down to do it for you. Which yeah. I mean, that you could not be more insulting. Yeah, I was just that. like, what is what? <laughs> Now, now oh, I, 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 I want to, I for Keith and I were up here the other night and had a, Keith had a, an enlightening idea because the wall's expensive. The wall is a bad idea. Keith, being in his business, understands a lot of different things and how different things can be won. So I'm going to refer to Keith on a great idea on how to handle the border that makes a lot of sense. And then also tie, maybe tie it in with my idea of putting some National Guard down there. At 18, my idea has always been, I've done this for years, at 18 you can go to National Guard, you won't fight in a war unless everything goes to shit. Everything goes to shit, we're all going to be fighting in it. But you're going to do a two-year deployment down there, and you're going to be able to learn surveillance, you're going to be able to learn warehousing, you're going to be able to build things. I mean, there's lots of things you can learn down there, logistics, you know, cyber, there's a ton of things. So you, you could use that for your resource. And then Keith's idea is... Oh. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't argue that there's a, a problem. We have to make sure we know who's coming in and out of the borders. It's just a, it's a reality. We have to know that. Yeah, like any, any country yeah, does. Yeah, any country should. does. Yeah. I just think that this isn't, you know, early history China trying to keep the Mongol hordes out. I, I think that we've got a lot of technology that could save us a lot of the problem, just solve the problem with technology. I mean, uh, you throw up a mesh of drones, one goes down, it's replaced by other mesh drones. These things can fly for weeks without fuel. You know, there's, there's ways to build a surveillance network that could detect a scorpion moving across that desert line. And you'll know whether it is a scorpion or a human. 
Um, that's harder to dig around. That's harder to dig over. I mean, so, so what about crossing? If your drone crosses into international airspace, what happens then? Where's the international airspace? Well, because over Mexico. Over oh, Mexico. Because so much of the, uh, particularly the drug trafficking, mm-hmm. was happening in these elaborate tunnels. Not allowed. Not allowed to go, you're not allowed to go in their airspace. That's no, no, no. Airspace. So I understand. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, I wonder if drones would be effective in picking up the people who are coming through tunnels and things along those lines. Yeah. Since you can't get to it at the origin. Yeah. Uh, you would have to be able to find the exit point, and that's well, not always Well, I mean, easy. a wall yeah. isn't going to be effective at that either. Listen, I think I think yeah. a wall is just idiotic. I mean, I'm all in favor of open borders with Mexico and Canada. And it's I, I mean, they've more. made, what, <laughs> I mean, haven't they nonsense. made tunnels from Mexico all the way into California? Oh, yeah. That, that's I that's, mean, that's yeah. my point. But those can be detected with the right technology. If, if that's you can't a drone over, yeah. so over Mexico. So, in town ground sensing, there's basically ground sensors that can run, get into the physical security side of things, I can tell if someone is walking up by how far, based using ground sensors, if it's a human, if it's a vehicle, how big the human is, how fast they're approaching, just by using ground sensing technologies. Mm. So there's already the technology to do everything we're trying to do, whether it's detect them digging, detect them trying to go over something. We have motion sensing, heat sensing, um, signal sensing. If they use any kind of communication device, we're going to pick that up as well. We have technology to do this right now in such an inexpensive way that could be deployed not just along that border, but any war zone we might go into to, to protect our troops wherever they might be. Yeah. I mean, there's no longer a need for a physical boundary in any way, shape, or form. And if you need to, arm the drones in other areas. I mean, there, there's lots of potential there that we could actually transform our capabilities militarily and in the homeland instead of putting that money into a wall. But you know, how do you optically... Um Maybe that's not the word I want to use. People are so scared and so um, anti-drone, especially in the United States. How do you? (laughs) How do you? It is, but it it, just as people are protesting having a wall, they're going to protest using drones. So it's you know. I, I think a, a handful of people would protest that, and the people who would little, protest that would be people like me who just say, "I just want open borders, and I don't, you know, I really yeah. don't want to check." Your protesters, you, you're about to have Amazon be dropping your packages off by a drone. I mean, there's gonna be mass acceptance of drone usage here pretty quick. So unless I you think really it's just a different monster when it's military. But between your protesters are out there, and these are your protesters saying. No borders, no nation, no de- stop deportation. Really? No, no borders, no nation, stop deportation. That is insane. I'm kind of worried. Now, I understand. Now, I'll be the first to say that's, that's a minority group of people. Yeah, and they're set, out to, they're set out to rabble-rouse. And this and this is what they are. And some, but some of them believe this. I, I, I believe that they should just be able to pass back and forth, and nothing happens. I believe in it a thousand percent. I, I, I'm actually not too far from it. Money doesn't care anymore. Packets don't care. The internet doesn't care. Comms don't care. We are now one big fat round planet. There is no end of this boat that isn't sinking without the whole thing going. Back at these, we found a random river and decided to call it a line. When those boundaries shift constantly throughout history. When you say it's a nation, I mean, literally, we're just drawing lines along rivers and going, mine, you know, and <laughs> you kick out some like, well, my problem stupid. comes down to that is taxes. And I think if well, you did that's, it, I'm if, that's, 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 again, that's my, I have to pay the taxes. I, for I'm not stuff. saying unifying. 
three different governments in North America would not be an easy thing to do. I'm saying it would be a difficult thing to do, but it's a very doable thing. Just to say it's difficult doesn't mean that it shouldn't be done. And, you know, again, I always love the example that everybody gets pissed off in Mexico, but nobody's, like, really fighting Canada. Canada's a bunch of a-holes. Like, they're harder to get in and out of than anywhere else. Oh, my else. God. Have you tried to get, get, to get out to Canada? Yeah. It's, it's the longest freaking process at the border. In Canada, oh, if you have a disability... They're not going to let you in. And I've been across that border a bunch of times. If you have a DWI, they're not going to let you in. Canada's very restrictive who they let in. Sure. And, 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 if, and if America had the policy with disability that Canada has, oh, my God. You want to talk about protests. Again, I think there's things to adjust, but I would, it's, it's an inevitability. We're, we're not going to see it in our lifetime, but we will see it uh, a couple of lifetimes from now, where this world yeah. is shrinking so fast that borders no longer make sense. I think it's your economic... Basically, it's going to come down to where, where do you identify so you can pay taxes. That's right. what it comes down to. Right. It doesn't mean that you physically live there X amount of time or where you're going to be. I think air travel is only going to increase. It's going to speed up. All of this is going to take away the concept of physical location as a delimiting factor. Yeah. I mean, and it's really expensive. I mean, just the amount it, of money that goes into making sure right, that right. a border, that a yeah, better yeah. river is protected. Yeah. I mean, at some point, when you get to a stage, and this is probably in the future, facial recognition says, taxpayer for X region, you're not paying your taxes. What are you doing? Or not, we're going to deport you, but you're here. What are you doing here? Are you paying your taxes for being here if you're earning your money? If you're a tourist, different situation. You're already paying your taxes because you're paying your tourism taxes. Sure. But if it comes, if it really comes down to that, I think that's actually not that. Do you hard think it's a world order that we're heading for? Uh, well, I'm not saying that it's going to be here tomorrow, but at some point, we're all going to have to agree on localization feeding into some bigger global system. Right. I just. I mean, we. I, we have I, I started having issues. I started having animal farm issues. I, I get it. We have a you microcosm know, I, of it here, and we have because then, then you get an elite class that tries to control. Well, we still have state versus we, fed, we and, and you can have those time. things, and you can have you know areas where things are still different. I, I'm not sold on. No, maybe I'm, not I'm, maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I'm getting old, but I, I'm having trouble. I, I think we'll be that. driven there by economics at some. point. I think we're yeah. imagining the world as it is now, and not where it is inevitably headed because of technology and, and things along those lines. It is a shrinking shrinking world well, and it just is and, and things are the barriers that prevent it right now are, are going away swiftly yeah. Yeah, I mean I think everything is, is changing due to technology you know just you know coming from you know the music and you know Chris from you know entertainment industries you know 10-15 years ago artists if you had a hit if you had a moderate hit record, you probably were going to sell platinum. You were probably going to sell platinum. If you had a, if you had a, a decent hit, you were going to sell two or three times platinum. If you had a smash hit, you were going to sell, you know, seven or eight times platinum. Now these same artists, you know, if they sell platinum at all, you know, is uh, is a very very difficult feat because streaming is now the way music is 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 consumed, and I t- I think that technology uh, is going to and like I say, it may not be our lifetime, but I think technology is shrinking the world we live in 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 ways that uh, we 
we don't even know yet, you know, is going to happen. But I definitely know one of the main reasons that, you know, like I said, these companies leave is because the economy has become global and the worker in another country, you know, can work for cheaper. And no, that's not... uh, necessarily good for the American worker, but I, I do tend to agree with Patrick that at some point, uh, was it a surprise that the factory closed or that the steel mill closed? <laughs> or that the, like, you, like you didn't notice that they, that they weren't pressing LPs anymore? Like yeah, that yeah. they were starting to press CDs? You didn't notice that they weren't pressing LPs? They were pressing cassettes? You didn't notice that they were not pressing uh, eight tracks. <laughs> like right. it's just at a certain point, like we have to notice the shifts in I the climate. My eight tracks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so I think that's sorry. the thing. The writing on the wall. Yeah, so, I mean, and, uh, and 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 we may not necessarily like the writing on the wall, but I think we had better we better see it. We 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 otherwise, you know, you. You are kind of doomed to just be living whatever's left for you. This is the most <laughs> innovative country on the planet, and we can innovate better and faster than anywhere else. I think these people need to get off the blame game and put on their innovation hat and do what we do best. Yeah, we can. We have we have shown over and over and over we will not innovate anybody. Whether I, they steal I'm it, use it against us at some point, different discussion. Yeah. But we will not innovate anybody. And we got to get out of this pity party and get back into that America. America first. America innovates first. I'll agree with you on that. We will will allow innovate anybody. Make innovation cheaper and it will make us more money in the long run. Amen. Here's a a small microcosm of something that bothered me, though. Call me an isolationism, whatever. But in Sunday paper, Dell Lamb is a good organization. God bless them. They, They are honestly trying to help people from other places in the world. Bring them here and get them settled. And due to the Trump's ban, there was a Somalian family that was supposed to come here. They had a house rented for them. It was a bungalow, and they were standing in the house, and a pretty nice house. And so you're trying to bring a Somali family over here and set them up to do well. And I'm looking around, I'm going, I got a homeless mother of three kids living in a car. I got a lot of problems here. I got homeless vets that we might be able to help out a little bit more. And, and so call me a homer, but I, I kind of think we have a lot of problems here on our own soil with our own people that I want to see solved first. I want to see us do a better job at taking care of these type of people. You know, this homeless mother may have not been making much money and somebody jacked a rent on her, and all of a sudden she ends up in her car, sleeping in her car with her kids, yeah. trying to get by. I, I think these are the people that I want to help before I help somebody from a foreign country. And I'll give you a flip side to that. I think there are, and here's what I find ironic. I think there are more Republicans who vote against American safety nuts than anywhere else. Uh, which I find just staggering. I also think there's already, despite Republicans voting against the hundreds of American safety nets that are out there, there are still hundreds of safety nets that are there's out there. There's a lot of them. Uh, there's a shit ton of them. And so uh, it's it's the same argument I have when somebody goes and shoots up a theater. I'm like, you don't need a new 
gun law, you need to enforce the 35 that are on the books. Absolutely. That's, a, that's an illegal Absolutely. gun. Absolutely. There's plenty of them in place. It. Don't call it stupid Jimmy's Law because Jimmy got, was a cute little seven-year-old who got shot in the, in the theater. You know, we don't need another stupid law like that. We just need to enforce the ones that are already there. That's just, yeah, yeah. That's, some, that's just to make some congressman or senator look good. Well, I agree. But, but what I would say is, listen, if, if you're in Somalia, that shit doesn't exist. I mean, then we're talking poverty. Poverty in America is defined as uh, a one-car cable television household, you know, with a uh, mobile phone. Absolutely. Yeah. A decent income, all these they get, things. They get a lot of things, but we still have problems in that aspect. Not, not saying that we don't. Crash. What I'm saying is that at some point, at some point, there's a giant crack. Somalia is a giant crack. And we have a couple of people falling in between the cracks here with uh, programs in place that are already there that they could take advantage of. So if we can find an effective way to steer them there, I'm great with that. You know, but when you are watching mass slaughter people where they're cutting off their hands so that they can't fight you again, then I feel like there's a moral obligation to step in and try to get those people. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I agree. I think that America is very bad about taking care. We have homeless children in mm-hmm. in Missouri, in Kansas yeah, City. We, yeah, we that have it, that, I mean, you know, there it doesn't have to be one or the other. They're they're, they're different needs. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly the way I, the, the way I look at it. I think the need of that Somali family is just as imperative as the need of the homeless single mother in her car. And, uh, and, and they both need to be tended to. Now, what I will say is, I think we can definitely do <clears throat> better as far as uh, vets. Uh, personally, me just this just me personally. You get out of the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, whatever, uh, I don't see why you should be uh, looking for a place to live. Hey, what's going on, podcasters? Let's acknowledge the good friends of the Law Party Podcast. The majestic restaurant and Pendergast Club carrying on Kansas City's tradition of great food and great jazz, 931 Broadway in Kansas City, Missouri. The J. Rieger Kansas City Distillery. Whiskey, gin, vodka. That is oh so good. And friend of the podcast and panelist, Lane Bolin. Managing to keep the podcast going. Apparently wealthy or not. Now onto our regularly scheduled program. I don't see why you should be looking for a job. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think you come out, there should be a pipeline set up well, to, get you, to get you a place to be, to, to get you at least two or three interviews set up, four jobs. Because there's a lot of companies, and I know you're, well, yours as well. I was sitting there the other day when we were with the Kansas City Veterans Coalition. Yeah. And this is the, taking 14 different veterans group in Kansas City and formed them into one, and then got big-time sponsors, mm-hmm. of which I'm a little small fish in. But this is the goal. We need to have that transition from the military to get these people into jobs. Why isn't that a branch of the DOD? So they transition. I would say, yeah. See, because we already spend more than what is our our next what? uh, I mean, ten allies combined. We'll call it healthcare. (laughs) Yeah, but they've got something that looks like healthcare in some cases. Yeah, not always the greatest. Not always very good with the VA. But but why don't we have a job placement, housing, something? We want to be part of the DOD. They they actually do a lot of that already in place. To be perfectly honest, a lot of companies hire. um, They prefer they if if a vet. Our company does. Applies, That's why they give you them do that in a minute, won't you? Yeah. Sure. an interview first. I, and, I, I'll, and I know this is a 
controversial thing that will not go over well. I don't think just because you went into the military that gives you special rights, you took a job, there's a million jobs out there, you chose that one, congratulations. I don't think there's any anything super special about it, honestly. I just think that's the path you chose and congratulations now. You know, now you got to do something else. I, I'm not dishonoring anybody's service. Like, I, I get it. I, you know, during the first Gulf War, I went to sign up, and then the stupid thing ended. So, <laughs> well, that <laughs> goes before they even gave me a call. That goes but back. I will say, hey, listen, I do believe in defending the country, but I do say if you go into it as a career move, you know, I, I don't know why you're afforded special rights because you went into the military. I, that one's a hard one for me. Like, I, you don't get special rights for being a doctor. How do you feel about the GI Bill? About what? GI Bill. I think it's fine, but those were people who were so, drafted. They were wait a second. They were drafted into World War II and came back, so they didn't actually have a choice. We're talking right now about a voluntary army on. that we've had in the United States, where these people are choosing to go into it, as I would choose to go into the job that I have and the job I had before. But we've all chosen to go into jobs. But, like, but there should be a choose? reward for service. No, there shouldn't be. Absolutely, there should be. In my mind. My reward is they, they actually learn some really good skills. Yeah. I, they, they usually have a better work ethic. They understand you know, lots of different things. Well, which, is, which is why I kind of agree with you that, uh, that you know, that should be, uh, that should be the DOD. You know, yeah. um, it, it's not like there's some special charity out there. Like, this is all part of the pipeline. Like, if you, if you choose this career, the pipeline afterward is set up. To at least help you transition back into civilian life, and that's, you don't and think that's it what feels like there's a shit ton of special preference for veterans and stuff like that. And there's a lot. I, I think there's a lot. I mean, I think there's a. I think there are a lot of programs for veterans. Sorry, but there's not many for sure. No, I was. I was thinking. I'd like to just know the numbers between. Them. So take all the homeless. What percentage of homeless are veterans? And then how's that compared to the number of? people in the military compared to the workforce. Right, right, right. You know, is there a huge a huge disparity in those ratios? Um, you should be able to go back and look at what um, um, the First Lady and Biden did. That was their whole thing. Their, one of their biggest platforms the military was families. military families and um, what, what happens to them when they come back from service. Yeah, so I'm sure yeah, there's all kinds of yeah, information out there. I was, just, I was thinking about, about the, yeah, there's, one of the professors at KU just came out last year with a book, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, um, I think it was called From Classroom to, uh, I'll, I'll have to look it up, but it was, he, he wrote a book about um, where the military would go to high schools and basically be marketing to these guys on, hey, you should come here, and all the reasons. And it, it was, I don't know, I, I, it was interesting to look at the different strategies that they had and like kind of who they targeted, and um, sometimes in cases making people feel like they wouldn't succeed in the world or that they don't come here. And it, it was it was very interesting. Uh, and he did a lot of research on it. Um, and I don't think they're allowed to do that anymore. I, I would say as a statistician, I would look up uh, the average... The, well, and again, I think this is a misnomer because every, every uh, study has shown, most reasonable non-biased studies have shown that, in fact, uh, most people that go in the military are better educated than they get 
credit for more for more so than a lot of corporations that are out there. They're not just picking on rural Kansas kids who are stupid as shit with no hope and they drag them in there or minorities from inner cities who can't find a job. That's not the case. You know, if you look at the military as a whole, that is not the case in any way, shape, or form. So the demographics of the military are actually fairly fascinating when you start digging into it. And there's a super popular belief that they just prey on these dumb kids who just jump in there. And that is not at all remotely true. Mario, let me, let me bring us back to the phone call. Yeah. Just look it up there, huh? Yeah. I haven't hung up on somebody since, like, high school. It's definitely been about 12 years since I hung up on somebody. It, it, it would real. take a lot to really get me to hang up on somebody. I mean, actually, not, that's not true. Let me re- I haven't hung up anybody who wasn't a telemarker since I was in high school. <laughs> right, but, right, right. right, right. The, the fact, that was my job. Oh, man. <laughs> the fact that we've got, you know, the, the, arguably the, the, number, you know, the number one diplomat, we'll, we'll talk about Secretary of State in a different discussion. Right. This is the representation of us to the world and our, our allies that we may need at some point. I mean, you at least have to have a civil conversation with them. Agreed. And, you know, in business and in not, I mean, Lods himself is a phenomenal businessman. I deal with business people all the time. I own my company, and there's people I'd rather not do business with, but I still give them the time of day. I still treat them with respect. Um, even if I would like to hang up on them, and sometimes I'd like to punch them in the face, but I don't do either one of those things. Right. Because and that's manage it with civil being discourse. an adult. <laughs> now, however, I do have every once in a while I will answer a telemarketer for fun if I'm really feeling like. <laughs> well, I play with it when I'm drunk. And, 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 and this is a good way to deal with them. So right off the bat, they'll start in, and I'll say, "Wait a second, are you trying to sell me something?" Right. And I get silenced, and then generally no. I say, "Well, then, well, then <laughs> go ahead." Right. And, and, I, and as soon as they go ahead, they're trying to sell me something. So then I stop them again real quick, and I say. Now, explain this to me. You told me no, that you weren't trying to sell me something, so now you've lied to me, and you're trying to tell me you're going to sell me something. So why would I buy anything from anybody who just lied to me? And I always enjoy this long, drawn-out silence (laughs) that comes from that, because it totally befuddles them. Yeah, as a guy here in call centers, for and then I hang years, up on. It's, it's a very tough job, and, and I, I always feel bad for the people who are doing it. It's, it's a very, it's got to be very It's a tough job, but, but if, you you ever, to. if you ever want to get off a call really fast, they always they always have to give you a disclaimer. This call is maybe recorded for quality assurance, and we're like, good because I'm recording the call as well. Mm-hmm. And then they hang up automatically because they can't. Well, I get hung up on by them. So, so that one yeah. works really, really well. Sometimes it's just a quick episode. I say, I am going to remember that. They, yeah. they can't do that. Nice they can't have their calls reported by But, but it's outside. from screw with them every once in a while. We've got our closest neighbor in Mexico, Mexico and Canada. We get a lot of our food from Mexico. We get a lot of things manufactured in Mexico. Mexico, despite some of the problems they've had, legitimate problems, um, that's still one of the reasons that we should maintain good dialogue with them. Because no, yeah. the old phrase, you keep your friends close and your enemies even closer. Even if they're your enemy, you still maintain sensible, civil discourse with them. You don't hang up on them and piss them off just to yeah. piss them off. Well, and I will throw this out as a guy, and everybody knows how much I love Mexico. Uh, imagine being in Mexico, and I've used this analogy before, and the only news you get about America is Detroit and Chicago, and you're not feeling so good about going to America at that point either. Yeah. You know, all we ever hear about Mexico is the shit that goes wrong, and yeah. oh my God, there's a beheading in, you know, Cabo San Lucas or something like that. 
yeah, and again, they do have some. It doesn't actually happen. Yeah. They, they did. <laughs> well, actually, they found 12 bodies decapitated outside of Cabo. Yeah. Uh, this was a couple of years back. No, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Really cracked down. So they did. They cracked down yeah. on all the tourist destinations, and you're safer than a bug on a rug oh, in most good, of yeah. those places. Yeah. But uh, I mean, that's that's the thing. Your your perception is colored by what you get to hear. And what we get to hear about Mexico is, oh my God, look at all this gang violence. I well, it's good if you're in Mexico. And I've seen the Mexican news. It is about Americans killing each other. Yeah. That's well, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, most of my Mexican workers I really like. I call I call them new Americans. Yeah. Because they are here, they appreciate what we've forgotten to appreciate. They are generally strong family. They're strong Catholic. For the most part, so they're involved with each other in their communities and things like this. I, I can't say enough about some of them. I mean, I, they are literally my favorite guys that work for me. It does make it awkward that the Republicans have not been able to make better inroads, and I think they're they smile. They have good attitudes. They're they're happy with me. They're happy I pay them an American wage. Sure, I'm these are all things that, that that they come up and shake my hand all the time. I feel great about having them work. On a political level, I find it absolutely staggering that socially there's so much in common between Mexican-Americans and the Republican Party, if you really want to get honest, because they are very family-oriented. They generally tend to be religious, Mm -hmm. stick together. You know, it's a big deal for them. And yet we, as a Republican Party... Do everything we can to drive them away and go. Okay, we're going to prevent <coughs> they, you from seeing your kids. We want to no, kick they, you out of here they, and build a wall now. They take pride in my business. When I give them gear that says construction and planning on it. Man, they want more. I, I mean, they, they, get, they love to wear my shirts and my sweatshirts and everything else. They like to be a, identified working for my company. I'm with you. And above just a personal like, level, I just find know, it fascinating. Rio likes to have his loft party crew shirts on. You know? I, damn right. I I know. Know. <laughs> the podcast land needs to buy them because they're sexy. I mean, they even look sexy on Rio. At a geopolitical level. Hey, I'm, I'm pretty sexy out there. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to talk with you guys. Keep interrupting it, it, it is just a larger theoretical point that I don't know why Republicans don't do more to embrace what is their natural voting block and would al- who would, would align with them a thousand percent. You know, like if you're counting on white dudes to keep voting for you, you're not going to be a party that much longer. So along your lines, um, some of the tweets that were coming out around that time that Trump hung up and threatened to send troops out of Mexico, some of the Mexican tweets were very interesting. They, you know, to generalize, but a lot of them said stuff like, well, if the wall keeps the Americans out, great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, okay, speaking of, actually, speaking of tweets, actually, that's a natural bridge to the next happening. Um, I found out about this... uh, uh, Twitter uh, Twitter handle called Rogue Potus. <laughs> What's it and called? Rogue Potus. Um, it may be Rogue Rogue White House, but I do believe it's Rogue Potus. It's Rogue Potus. And uh, so, <coughs> uh, it so nobody's a hundred percent sure if this if they're real or if they're. Uh, if they're just, uh, it's rogue POTUS staff. Yeah, if they're, if they're, if it's real or if it's um, just some people doing some uh, some funny tweeting, 
They're not just not it, sure. It's not because even on here it says we will block anyone who asks us to ID ID ourselves, including press, and who makes suggestions of violence. Like, and they they put on here, you know, do not make suggestions of violence towards the president or his family. We will block you. Like, they're not trying to be like bad. They're just telling you what's really going on. Yeah. So <laughs> with Rogue Potus staff, um, so. Uh, uh, so apparently, um, uh, I've I've heard from, uh, from from a few uh, of the talking heads out there that uh, that it's kind of the kind of the inside baseball of the Trump administration at this point is kind of like the Lord of the Flies. It's um, you've kind of got um, you know two or three. Two or three of the kind of heads of the Republican Party, and they're um, work trying to work with the staff, but they don't like his staff. And then you've got Trump and his staff and cabinet people that um, don't like the Republican people, and and so they they kind of tweet the behind the scenes of what these conversations really sound like. Uh, and it's uh, hilarious and scary as hell <laughs> because some of the stuff that they're saying that they say to each other, I'm just like, how could you possibly want to be in the same building with with these people if this is how you feel? Because like, it nobody likes each other. Like, period. I'm like, I think like like Trump and Bannon. And then and and everybody else is <laughs> basically well, the way it feels. Bannon needs to go away. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of more of a Trump supporter in some ways, not totally by any stretch of the imagination. But Bannon needs to go away. I mean, Bannon Bannon's a bad hire. I mean, he just is. And you got and sooner or later, my hope is that you know, we're we're an infancy of, of what the Trump administration is, and hopefully. As that goes down the road, that that part goes away as, as soon as the things start to wise up on them, and reality <laughs> starts to hit them in the head like a baseball bat. I, I, uh, who knows? I know that that's something we just don't know. Yeah, do we? we don't. Yeah, we don't. We, we don't, don't know don't yet. Know. But so, but which, we can look back at a lot of other presidents who had bad people that they brought in to start off right off the bat. Well, I think the problem and, with Bannon... And, and they didn't have good advisors yeah, in that situation, and they, tend, and they tend to go away. I think the problem with he Bannon really was he was his chief strategist for his campaign. Um, so they would put Kellyanne Conway out there to kind of take the slings and arrows on the news programs, but Bannon was the one creating the strategy. Oh, absolutely. And... Uh, so he figured, hey, he got me in the White House. I'm going to bring him on to my staff, and uh, ugh, it it uh, looks ugly. I, I would just throw this out just as a historical context, and I apologize to no, all no, of yeah. for it. But I would just say, uh, historically, this is nothing new. I mean, if you even go back, the greatest example of probably the most infighting you've ever seen in a presidential cabinet happened under Lincoln yeah. because he brought together... Everybody who was thinking this is going to be great, and it was horrific (laughs) in fighting. It was almost a dysfunctional unit for a very long time, which is why part of the reason North got their ass kicked for so long. You know, until Mm -hmm. they finally all 
got together and got on the same page. Me and Howard kind of won that award, but that's a true. But it was a horrific. I mean, it was a great idea in theory. Yeah, horrific in execution for a long time. Yeah, you know, Uh, and so it's having a dysfunctional cabinet is nothing new. What I would say is just I think he just picked a bunch of morons. Where I would say is like, he picked some smart people who just ideologically disagree. Yeah, they yeah, don't like each that's other. Like, yeah. uh, but were reasonably confident, with maybe the exception of Chase, who just plundered the government for shoe contracts. Uh, you know, you could make an argument that everybody else is pretty good. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. And I honestly believe the Democrats are setting this up for a constitutional violation on which case they have the grounds to file impeachment charges at that point, uh, which will be interesting to see what happens. Because what was so fascinating about the judge in Washington reversing the travel ban was there was a judge in Boston who upheld the travel ban on the same day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but the fact that his own uh, you know, departments all of a sudden decide to acknowledge the one in Washington <laughs> right, right, right. is very, very interesting. It's interesting. And uh, if he pushes it too far mm-hmm. uh, and ignored the judge in Washington, he felt he, he could have been facing a very, very real constitutional crisis at that point of how much power does the president really, really have, actually. Yeah. Um, and that would have set up a showdown, which I don't think he's prepared to have. They would have booted his ass out of office. Um, and I think Republicans don't like him either, so they would have gone along with Well, now that you broached that subject, this is, well, this is, this this is, is interesting. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh. Eight, 8 U.S. Code uh, 1182, Inadmissible Aliens. Suspensions of entry imposition of restrictions by president. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens of any class or any aliens of the United States would be detrimental to the interest of the United States, he may proclaim for such a period as he deems necessary, suspend, suspend entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may, he may deem re, uh, appropriate. So, but you cannot do it on religious grounds. That's been a long-standing. Uh, that, there, there's a lot of argument in that, but so but it is, it is in the code that that he can do it. No, 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 not not to. And and, uh, and a lot of other presidents did it. You know, this this don't forget Obama. Two weeks before the end of the presidency, he said, "No more Cubans." That, again, not so on, it, not it, on a religious ground. They, and I think the do. argument that you would make here is that this basically feels like a religious ground, especially when you have him banning seven basically Muslim countries and saying, but we still like the Christians a lot, so we'll give them a priority. That automatically sets you up for a violation of the Constitution at that point. And but that, but, but that it, it is an interesting provision. I'm not saying he, yes or no, he overstepped his boundaries as president by saying these are the conditions under which you get visa. What I am saying is that well, the rationale he used to do it may be in violation of the Constitution, well, we, and had we, he ignored a federal judge. We had this conversation before. Yeah, and, that, and I'm going to give you the same answer I, I gave you before. He stepped on his dick. Yeah, and <laughs> violating a, a violating a federal judge's yeah. order would be a huge, huge problem for him right now that he is not prepared to win. I, I think the fact that we have those staff tweets or whatever it's going to be along with many other things. This will not be the first. There will be others that will do the same thing if this one somehow gets squashed. But the fact that we were wondering, is this true? And it, again, it's that healthy dose of skepticism. <laughs> it's probably not. <laughs> Just 
for just for, for what it, for what it's worth. But the fact that we have that, you know, God bless the internet. Yeah, it gives us this awesome capability to do these amazing things. To and you know, the question you've got on here, where is it? Something about the resistance. Yeah, there is a really yeah. good Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, have, have these sour grapes protests yeah. turned into okay. the resistance. Yeah, it's in a different, different area. But, yeah, um, this, this is, you know, this is a mild form of it. Yeah, I don't think it's got to a place where resistance, traditionally, globally, resistance means something very different. Yeah. Um, but on the way in, you know, um, music is a big part of this. I was uh, just channel surfing and hit Games Without Frontiers with uh, old Peter Gabriel. Oh, yeah. mm. War Without Tears. Yeah. You know, if looks could kill, they probably will. We're at a place where we're we're actually looking at something similar to what that was actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we've we've got a situation that is so crazy and chaotic that you know we're willing to believe that there's insiders in there telling us what's going on through Twitter. And the president himself uses this stuff. You know, the president uses Twitter. Oddly enough, he's gone silent lately, which is really curious as to what's right, going on. Right, right. Um, oh, no, I'm about to leave. Sorry, sh- Brian. So, I, I think it's awesome. Whether it's real or not, I think it's absolutely awesome because, again, and I said this, I think, last time, that's what this country is all about, is the capability to dissent nonviolently, and I like the way they put it, if you're violent, we're going to kick you out. Great, right. that's what, again, that should be the same same thing. You should be able to handle yourself with civil discourse. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, I think that there's going to be a lot of that, and there should be some on the other side that, that you know, that balances it out. But I, the overall concept of doing something like that, the fact that we can go to some other countries around the world, you would not be allowed to do that. You'd be found, shot, and killed. Mm-hmm. Now, now, the interesting thing about Berkeley, and, and I, don't look, don't look at these yet, but keep going with your don't look at him said, yet. He said, he said don't look at him yet. You can't look ahead on the pop quiz. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing about Berkeley is that the... Uh, I don't think he was ready to move Everybody get one? Mm-hmm. I've seen him. Okay. Um, I got one. I don't think these are ever seen. I think it's no, a whole pack. There's two of them. Yeah, okay. Well, there's two. Okay, yeah. all right. The interesting thing about Berkeley is that it's been reported that the students... Got one that, that the students were the one that, you know, lit up the place and burned it down and everything else. But that's not true. It's not true at all. That, that's, that's false news. What happened at Berkeley when, 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 when Milo Fox news? showed up? What's that? Did you say that was Fox News? False. Oh, I, yeah, I mean, false news. Very much so. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. What happened when Milo showed up? <laughs> Milo, Milo, Milo's a, a, a gay man. He's been very successful. And he bangs against the LBGT narrative some. So they instituted a protest where they had a, a band and an LBGT dance party. And it was all sanctioned by the university and everything was fine. There was nothing wrong with what they did. Not a thing wrong. They did a legitimate protest. What happens is that they had 150 estimated of these anarchists showed up from the Bay Area. The yeah. problem with you, with, with, with UNC Berkeley, or what are UC Berkeley, UC is that it's located way too close to San Francisco. And <laughs> these the slugs showed up, <laughs> and they're dressed in black, and they even got black face masks on. Yeah. Does that make a main difference than damn KKK in opposite sense? Really, no. And they turned around and bombed the place, and not the bomb's not the right word, but they burned and threw rocks at the cops and raised hell 
and then took off and then left the students to take the blame. But they've done that everywhere. Even and in, they do this everywhere. They do They're paid everywhere. protesters. They're yes. trained protesters. Well, they protest all the time, and the protests in Portland rarely have any issue whatsoever until the anarchists show up and start causing problems. And, and this protest gets blamed for the violence. Right, this is right, a right. huge problem. And, and there's only one, and, and here's, here's what really boggled my mind. I read about it a couple of days later, and there were no arrests. And, I, and I'm thinking to myself, wait, 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 wait a minute. No, you round these people up and you arrest them and you prosecute them and you throw them in jail for a period of time. You Sorry, make their was, life difficult. You make them cost that yeah, they have to pay you money yeah. because they screwed up. You mean the guys in the ski masks who were doing stuff who then ran into the alley and took it off and changed clothes real quick and then walked out in the crowd like normal? Yeah. It happened during Trump's inauguration. They had a bunch of peaceful protests, and the anarchists came in and set limo on fire and broke business windows and everything else. These are the anarchists, and these people need to be arrested, and they need to be prosecuted to the full extent of law. This is not, has nothing to do with the peaceful protesters. That's what I think about it. It's too easy to hide. So, last thing I want to talk about is I've heard from... Uh, a lot of people over uh, over the the period since the election about um, kind of how you know anarchists aside uh, how the protesters have been uh, characterizing Trump and the way the the language they use in their signs and um and uh and, and it got me to thinking um I didn't hear a lot of protests to the same thing uh under our former president. And so what your packet is, you turn those over. Okay. Uh these are examples of signs that were carried around uh to protest Obama. You need that. Uh, you need them. Oh. oh, yeah. To protest Obama. And uh, the, the second piece was actually uh, something I found on Pinterest that was uh, a Pinterest page uh, basically set up to, uh, to demonize um, our former first lady. Um, so... I know you guys at home can't see, but I'm going to kind of quickly describe. Tell them what you searched. Oh, so, and literally, I got two packets here, um, and I literally did one search. It was for uh, uh, racist protest signs against Obama. Okay. This, this is the first... Stuff that popped up. I didn't even dig deep. Like, I just... I printed maybe the first 12 or 15 that I saw. And then I happened to run across this um, Pinterest Sorry, page. they're not again. all facing the same direction. No, they're not. So that got you on at least one list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sure it did. I'm sure it did. Um, but, so the first Probably picture not. is just a picture of uh, uh, President Obama and his wife. But... Uh, uh, but they have monkey faces. The second picture uh, says, which um, I thought was um, interesting because 
This seems to be the sentiment of the people that were protesting Obama in that in uh, the sign, her sign says, it doesn't matter what my sign says, the press will call it racist. Um, not thinking that maybe the, maybe it is racist, <laughs> but the press will call it racist no matter what I, no matter what I have. Walks like a duck. Um, uh, another one was Obama go home and uh, which got me to thinking what is home uh, uh, the third one is uh, uh, a curious George you know but it says uh, Obama and uh, holding a banana it says Obama in 08 yeah I like the spelling on this one uh, oh yeah. yeah, Obama, half breed, Muslim, Muslim, Muslim. So he's, he's, just, <laughs> he's uh, a piece of fabric. He's part of fabric. Yeah, I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. If somebody holds up a sign like that, do you really expect them to be very educated, or do you expect them to be narrow minded? Uh, well, I'm sure that they're narrow minded. I guess what I'm saying is, I've I've heard a lot of uh, a lot of people say, you know, that you know the protesters should go away. You know that are protesting Trump now, but I guess what I'm saying is, the signs that are being held up at Trump rallies aren't near as bad as anything that I'm showing the group here. And where was the same outrage? You know, you know, I I think when you have when it's uh, policy, that's your problem. You don't have these sides. You know, you have, uh, you know, we hate TPP. You know, don't sign it. Well, you have, you know, a dozen other things. But, uh, you know, we need a Christian president, which, uh, of course, Obama was. But, you know, the, the uh, you know, the, the, the sign uh, is leading you to believe otherwise. You know, the... Um, a picture of Obama with undocumented worker. You know, it's you know, and I and I'm not going to even go down the entire list. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is, you know, what we're seeing in the in the protests, and I haven't even gotten to the second packet, which is uh, a Pinterest page that's uh, dedicated to um, horrible memes. Um, Against uh, Michelle Obama, uh, and it's and the Pinterest page <laughs> out there is even called uh, "Ugly Evil Sasquatch." Um, I guess what I am saying is that protesting is uh, is American. It is what it is. Um, but when you are at this point. And um, you are uh, insinuating that the uh, the first couple are monkeys when you're insinuating that they're not from here, when you're insinuating that they are not uh, Christian, when you're uh, out and out saying that, uh, you know, he should go home, which, you know, uh, Chicago, Chicago? (laughs) (laughs) you know. Versus the signs that you're seeing for Trump, which is talking about, you know, not banning Muslims. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Holy, yeah! Holy yeah! Wow! Yeah. I don't. I don't even, I'm. I'm. 
I'm speechless. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Yeah, yeah. Like, literally, oh, yeah. I didn't even dig. I didn't... Because you know how when you Google search and then you can go to the next page and the next page? This is the stuff that popped up on the first page. And the, Oh, and the sign that uh, he's talking about uh, has uh, a hangman's noose and uh, says, hanging there, Obama. Um, I guess what I'm saying is maybe, just maybe, we have to and, and and I asked this question on the last podcast, but I think right now it's the only question that actually matters. And 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 that is are we America? You know, do we tolerate this behavior for one person because he's not the same skin tone as the vast majority of the population? Uh or do we condemn it all when it goes too far? I'm not saying that no protests, no signs uh, against Trump have gone too far. Um, because I am more than positive that they have. Um, but the reason that the... Uh, you know, on top of the fact that, you know, there was just an uh, astounding run of... Uh, of murders, you know, the reason that the Black Lives Matters movement um, was so angry, the reason that so much, so much of these protests are so angry, goes back to these signs that nobody protested when we had our first black president. You know, now that we've got our businessman president, you know, I'm just hearing a, a lot of. Give him time. And I'm not saying we shouldn't give him time. Because I, I do think no matter what administration comes in, you give him time to see how it shakes out um, uh, so that you know whether or not they're going to do a good job or if they need to be impeached or whatever. What I am saying is <clears throat> if we can't be civil in our disobedience, are we still America? Or have we become a third world country? And if we've become a third world country, isn't it time for the resistance? But and on that thought, yeah. I want to end this podcast in the way I end all podcasts. <laughs> and that is with the quote that started off for me. And this is to good times with good people.